Today, we bring you audio from the Embracing Autism IRL video podcast series. Welcome to Embracing Autism IRL. In this video series, we interview guests from a variety of backgrounds who are all linked together through autism. From advocates to therapists to parents and autistic adults, this series will take a well-rounded approach to sharing diverse perspectives on autism spectrum disorder. Our guests are encouraged to speak freely and be their authentic selves when discussing controversial yet critical topics in the autism community. If you'd like to watch the full unedited video of our interview-style podcast spinoff, Embracing Autism IRL, please subscribe to our YouTube channel of the same name and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Wish. New episodes release monthly. Hello, Embracers, and welcome to another episode of Embracing Autism IRL. Today, I have with me a name that should be very familiar to you all, Eileen Lamb. Eileen is the author of All Across the Spectrum and Be the One, and is well known as the founder of the Autism Cafe and Autism Advocacy Blog. She's also a writer, photographer, and host of the Autism Speaks podcast, Adulting on the Spectrum. Born in France, Eileen now lives in Austin, Texas, with her two sons, Charlie, Jude, and their baby sister, Billy. On her blog, she shares the ups and downs of raising a severely autistic child while being on the autism spectrum herself. Hi, Eileen. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. Thank you for coming. I just wanted to kind of learn a little bit about you because you are definitely well known. People in the online social media world of autism know who Eileen Lamb is. I think you have made a splash for yourself. And so I just wanted to learn a little bit more about the work that you do and how your role involves Autism Speaks. I work at Autism Speaks as the senior social media manager and content coordinator. It's kind of a mouthful, but um, basically uh, I just... Uh, post on social media. So uh, when you see posts on Instagram, chances are I'm the one who scheduled the post and uh, shared those stories. So, you know, a lot of the job is about finding those stories. And, you know, we try to share stories of autistic adults, uh, but parents too. We really try to show and give a voice to uh, everyone in the autism community. And yeah, that's uh, basically what I do. Eileen and I actually met through the podcast. I've actually been a guest on her podcast one time, and it's really interesting the work that they do speaking to actually autistic individuals about their personal experiences on that podcast. It's pretty cool. So I was a little bit curious about how you transitioned into that role. I know that before working for Autism Speaks, you are really well known for creating your highly successful blog, The Autism Cafe. And I just want to know what kind of inspired you initially to start that blog? That's kind of a long story, but I'll give you the short version. So when Charlie was diagnosed, my oldest son, uh, when he was uh, not even two, I started posting on my personal Facebook page uh, to keep my family in France updated uh, because in France, autism is like not well known at all. Like we need more awareness in the US, but in France, it's a lot worse. We need a lot more awareness. Um, so anyway, it was just more of like a personal blog at first, really for my family and friends, you know, and uh, then someone asked me, oh, you should make this post public. It's so great. Um, so I made the post public from my uh, personal page and it took off. I was like, you know, everyone was like, oh my God, I can so relate. And uh, so I just started my own Facebook page separate from my uh, private Facebook page. 
And again, from there, it just kind of like turned into a blog. But basically, at first, I just wanted to keep my family and friends updated on Charlie and, you know, share a little bit about autism. Yeah, from there, people kept telling me they could relate. And to me, it was also so good to hear that uh, I was not alone and that I was making people feel less alone. It was great to connect. What really pushed me to start that uh, Facebook page, though, was a Halloween party at Charlie's Therapy Center. because. I was there with Charlie and I was looking forward to connect with parents who had were on the same journey as us. You know, I was very new to the autism world back then. Charlie was not even three yet. And I just, uh, I wanted to connect, right? And I couldn't relate to anyone there because, you know, Charlie was just screaming. I couldn't get anything out of it. And all the other kids were just like having fun and Everyone was smiling and Charlie was just like throwing himself on, on the floor, not able to. And I just felt even more alone on that day. And that's why it was so great for me to find that, that community and of, of people uh, online. And yeah, like I said, it just kind of took off from there. Then I started the actual blog, then Instagram, then TikTok when that uh, came around and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can definitely relate to that lack of a connection with other peers on an autism level, like as an autistic adult myself, like that already is difficult. And then when you have a child who is also autistic, it makes it that much more difficult because you can't really do the play dates or any of that. And it's just difficult to go out. I was wondering, though, throughout that process and that journey, what made you get that alarm bells going that you might yourself be autistic? Because I know that you've mentioned that on your blog, you've talked about your personal experience as an autistic adult. So when did you first learn that you were autistic? And how do you feel that's influenced your advocacy work? So I learned about it after Charlie was diagnosed. It started because my mom kept in France kept saying, no, you can't be autistic. You were the exact same way as a child and you're not autistic. And, you know, I was like, I mean, I'm sure Charlie was on the spectrum. So it just, you know, kind of like got me thinking, but it was just like a one comment in, in passing that my mom said. But then I started because I was online so much talking about autism. I was being served ads about autism. And one day I took one of these online test and it said like high risk for autism or whatever. And again, so it was just like a lot of signs that came up. So I decided to go through a full uh, therapeutic assessment to to get answers about myself because I knew like I was different from a very young age, but I didn't know if autism was the answer because I've always been very verbal and Charlie was completely non nonverbal. I just couldn't connect the dot how what I'm struggling with could be the same thing Charlie was struggling with, you know? So it was really important for me to get like actual answers from a professional. So I went through a very long therapeutic assessment, like dozens and dozens of hours of tests and talking to a, a psychologist who specializes in autism, actually. And uh, that's how I was, uh, I was diagnosed. Do you feel that that diagnosis has influenced your advocacy work at all? Or do you think that it has strengthened that passion for autism advocacy? In a way, but I get so much hate for being autistic and not sharing the same views as the most vocal, if I can call them like that, part of the community, that in a way it's made it harder for me to be an advocate because, you know, people accuse me of having self-internalized ableism because I don't follow 
the hive mind, you know, like I don't care if people say I'm autistic, I have autism, if they like the color blue or red, you know, I don't care about all of that stuff that a lot of people are really, really hang up on, uh, on social media. I feel like it does give me a good perspective. You know, it allows me to talk about how broad the spectrum is. You know, I can share and I don't even share my experience that much about autism just because of the, the hate, you know, I feel like people are just going to come at me. You know, I keep hearing that I have self-internalized ableism and it's not that I believe it. I know I, I don't, but it's just hard to put myself out there on that personal level. But I do it. And uh, yeah, I feel like it's interesting how broad the spectrum is. And my family is just a perfect example of that. My youngest, Jude, is also level one. I'm level one. And Charlie's level three. Yeah, I've definitely seen that split in the autism community. And I've definitely seen that negativity that clouds the community online. For me, I actually feel like the opposite happened because I was a parent to an autistic child first before I got my diagnosis. And I feel like the negativity was more so then because since I wasn't officially diagnosed or I wasn't considered autistic at the time, the community online kind of made it sound like I wasn't allowed to have an opinion. And so I feel like in that sense, since having my diagnosis, it kind of gave me a slight foot in that door. But I get what you're saying, too, where if you then get too vocal, it seems like it tends to kind of backfire. But I think that's a cultural trend that's happening right now in all areas. It just seems like society as a whole right now has really low tolerance for people of different opinions, regardless of what area that opinion is in. That's probably true. Yeah. And <laughs> I totally get what you're saying, because before I was diagnosed, which wasn't long after Charlie, I kept hearing, well, you're not autistic. Stop speaking on behalf of uh, autistic people. And then you finally get your diagnosis and it's like, oh, yeah, but we don't want to listen to you, though, even though you're autistic, because we don't agree with you. So it's like there's no winning, right? Yeah, I've experienced that with my race, too, because I'm Hispanic and I don't have the same views as like the I guess the hive mind that you mentioned so it's definitely something that's like cross-cultural cross-boundary it's, it's kind of everywhere right now unfortunately but speaking of controversy I actually wanted to talk about Autism Speaks a little bit because I'm sure you're well aware that Autism Speaks as an organization has been considered a controversial topic within the autism community anytime a new parent steps foot in the online social media world we get blasted with all this anti-autism speaks rhetoric. A lot of online, I guess, either self-diagnosed or officially diagnosed autistics claim that the organization excludes or even silences autistic voices. So I wanted to get your feedback on this because you're an autistic adult that's been working closely with this organization. So what has been your experience with Autism Speaks? Do you feel that this negative interpretation or representation of Autism Speaks is accurate? Why or why not? No, I agree with you. When I first uh, stepped into the autism world, I was so overwhelmed with all the, the controversy. And, you know, like I used the puzzle piece because, I don't know, I mean, that's what came up when I typed in autism. You know, that's what I associated with autism. And I got very overwhelmed. And, you know, to be honest, I, I didn't know what, what to think. It's hard when you have so many people telling you this is a hate group and, you know, they're horrible and they want autistic people to die. So I was very neutral about Autism Speaks just because I knew that also people on the internet, you know, they kind of like 
make things up or exaggerate things. But so, you know, uh, after a, a couple of years of doing my own research and, uh, you know, I actually talked to people at Autism Speaks even before I, I worked there. I, I met them and I listened to their mission and what they're doing and all of that. And I mean, that's a much better way to, to know what you're dealing with than to just uh, Google and, you know, believe people on Facebook. Um, so no, I mean, some mistakes have been made in the past uh, at Autism Speaks, uh, but the organization for the past decade has been like really uh, doing a great job and uh, working uh, towards uh, helping autistic people uh, reaching their full potential. And I'm just, I'm, I'm really proud to be uh, working for, for Autism Speaks and uh, of the work uh, we do there. What do you personally believe is the biggest misconception about Autism Speaks? I mean, I couldn't pick just one, but, you know, uh, first I would say that it's a hate group. I mean, it's just so, so silly, you know, we work so hard uh, to help uh, autistic people and, uh, and caregivers. Also, people say that Autism Speaks wants to uh, cure autism, which is uh, not true. It's been removed uh, from the mission statement in uh, 2016. So it's been it's been a while. It's been seven years, uh, but you know people are still saying saying that there's also the misconception that the puzzle piece means that autistic people are missing a piece, which is not true. And also, you know, autistic people were in the room when the puzzle piece was uh, chosen, and it wasn't even started by Autism Speaks. But that's another story. I also don't like how people keep bringing up uh, some uh, mistakes that were made in uh, 2009, I want to say, and without acknowledging the good things uh, from then. Like, you can't just cancel people for mistakes that were done decades ago. It's just not realistic. Everyone has to learn. And the fact that we've listened to the community and done better, that should be a good thing. Yeah, I had a similar experience going in into social media, not really knowing what to think about Autism Speaks. I would still say that I'm probably more of like the fence sitter, but I lean towards giving people grace and not holding grudges on the past because everybody is human. And if you compare history to where all other areas of research and science and medical everything was at that time, it wasn't solely the field of autism. This sort of stuff was happening across the board with like all medical practice, all psychology practice. That's why I try to keep things in the context of their times and judge more based off of, you know, whether or not they're willing to make changes and adapt to the current times and things like that, which I do feel like Autism Speaks has done, at least from what I <laughs> I have seen. But I have, however, seen a bunch of activists basically claiming that Autism Speaks focuses its funding primarily on curative research. That was something that you mentioned in your response, rather than helping improve the lives of autistic individuals. I find that controversial in itself in the sense that not every autistic adult even agrees on whether or not a cure is good or bad. For me personally, if there was the ability for me to like cure certain parts of my autism, I totally would because I have lived a life where I have not been able to really keep or maintain friendships. And despite my other successes in life, I, I mean, I would consider myself a fairly successful person. That's still a gap or a void that I have missed out on 
that I've never really been able to fill. And I would totally give anything to be able to have had those skills to be able to fill that gap. So I get the, I guess, controversy around the language of curing, and I get some of those arguments. But at the same time, I definitely know there are autistics out there like myself who aren't internalized ableists. It's just that it's the truth. Like if you could fix something to improve your quality of life, why would you not want to improve your quality of life? Do you feel that Autism Speaks provides resources for these individuals or conducts research that does help improve quality of life? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a big goal of the organization with a transition to adulthood too, because, you know, autistic kids become adults. We're also helping autistic people get into the work workspace because that's also uh, another uh, big issue. And, you know, also we've worked to get some much needed therapy uh, covered by insurance. So we do a lot, a lot of work that people just don't know about. So why do you think then Because I have looked at the data, I've looked at the statistics of like what Autism Speaks has done. And I know there's a lot of memes going around, but honestly, I can never find the data that supports those memes. It usually kind of contradicts the memes. So I'm wondering, why do you feel that some might find Autism Speaks to be so controversial? I think people just like to get mad these days. I mean, you know, it, finding things to get angry about. I just feel like since joining social media, there is not like one day that goes by where I don't see someone getting mad at something that I feel like, I mean, they basically had to met up. It's really uh, frustrating. I, I don't know if it's because they would like for another organization to be, uh, you know, getting the financial support. I, I don't know, but, um, uh, I do know that we're doing great work at Autism Speaks and that all of these uh, misconceptions are uh, unfunded or they happened decades ago and, you know, we've been working to uh, get them fixed. Yes. And I think one of the ones that happened decades ago that's kind of stuck, unfortunately, is the first thing I ran into when I first learned about Autism Speaks was that 2009 ad. Autism Speaks, for those listening, released an ad called I Am Autism, which depicted autism as essentially kind of like this monster out to destroy families. That ad has since basically gone viral within the actually autistic community online and is shared a lot to parents who are first seeking information to learn about Autism Speaks. So I was wondering, from your perspective, do you feel that Autism Speaks has turned a new leaf since that controversial 2009 ad? Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is that a few days later, uh, Autism Speak had already turned uh, a corner because the video was removed from uh, Autism Speak social media channels uh, within a week of being posted. So it was removed in 2009, but someone had saved the video and now it's being shared on a, on a YouTube channel uh, that is not Autism Speaks. It hasn't been on our channels uh, for, what, 13 years? Yeah, we, we turned the corner and, you know, uh, Autism Speaks has publicly apologized for it. Uh, the video doesn't uh, represent the organization at all. And uh, I wish people would stop uh, sharing it, but it is, uh, you know, it is what it is. So I hope if anyone is listening uh, to this episode right now, they know that, uh, yeah, the video was removed from Autism Speak channels a few days after being posted. The only reason it's still being circulated right now is because uh, those people who are against Autism Speaks are sharing it to represent our organization, even though uh, 
we don't feel like this represents uh, autism speaks. What I've kind of heard too from that online voice is that phrase of nothing about us without us. And that's kind of been one of the claims towards Autism Speaks too, is that they don't involve autistic adults in any of these conversations or processes. Yeah, I see you here right now talking to me. And so that kind of makes me think, well, Autism Speaks must include autistic voices because here you are. <laughs> so I was just wondering, what would you like parents of autistic children to know about Autism Speaks? If you could kind of do over their first impression and you were able to tell them the truth about Autism Speaks from somebody who works there and knows the organization, what would you have wished that first impression would have actually told those parents? That, you know, Autism Speaks is uh, probably the opposite of what you're <laughs> reading about on social media. I mean, we have autistic people, um, one of them. Um, we have autistic people on the board too. Uh, Dr. Stephen Shore is one of them. And, you know, not everyone is publicly autistic. And I totally like understand that, uh, that they don't want to disclose their diagnosis. But we do have quite a few autistic people at the organization. Another one that I can mention, mention is uh, Tony Hernandez. He is uh, part of the autism response team at Autism Speaks. And, uh, Actually, if you don't know about the autism response team, that's such a great thing we have. You can just call. It's like a helpline. And if you have any question, uh, they will answer. And uh, it's free, obviously. And basically, if you're needing resources in your uh, where you live or, you know, you need help with getting a diagnosis, whatever, you can call the autism response team and uh, they will answer. Um, so, yeah, we do have a lot of... Uh, resources and yeah just don't blindly believe what you read on social media because chances are it's not the actual truth and unless you know you talk to people like at autism speaks or you read the website and you read the facts actual facts uh you know you're not gonna know that yeah i know that for me i initially tried to kind of avoid autism speaks because of all that controversy but then I started seeing like all the resources and I was like, but I kind of need that. <laughs> so then I started kind of going in and then I was like, oh, wait, they've got this and they've got this. And then they were particularly helpful for us when we moved states because they also have this like email line that you can basically contact somebody and they will come back to you with a list of all like the available resources in their database in your local area and community. So like for us who left a place where we were comfortable with and knew what all of our resources were, going to a brand new state that we knew absolutely nothing, that actually was basically a lifesaver for us because it helped us ground ourselves in this new community. And then we were able to find, okay, what are those local resources here? So I've started kind of, you know, turning that leaf of like, okay, there's definitely some really good stuff here. And that's when I started thinking like, yeah, it doesn't make sense to hold a grudge on the past for an organization that, in my opinion, has done a lot to try to turn that corner. And I think it's up to each individual on whether or not they feel like they have successfully done so. But in, in my personal opinion, I'm just like the type of person to like forgive and forget. So... <laughs> So I totally get that. I wanted to ask you, we ask this to all of our guests who come on our show. So our podcast is called Embracing Autism. And to us, it means something very different than we found it means to our guests. And we found it really interesting to learn what everybody's unique perspective is on what that 
embracing part of it means to them. And so I wanted to ask you from your perspective and your life experience, what does embracing autism, that phrase, what would that kind of mean to you personally? That's a good question. I think probably trying to embrace the positive and the negative at the same time, trying to grow from the challenges that autism has put in my path. And I'm talking about myself personally, not uh, my, my children. Um, and yeah, trying to to embrace what, what it's taught me and, uh, and use uh, that to, um, to grow. You know, I've found that in a lot of ways, having to work so much harder to do things that uh, people take for granted, it's given me uh, strengths and resilience that uh, a lot of people don't have. And, you know, patting myself on the back, but um, I don't think that I would be this uh, strong right now if it wasn't for, for autism. And that's one thing I'm thankful for. It comes with a lot of challenges, but... For me, I'm trying to use these uh, challenges to uh, to better myself. But then I think about it, you know, for someone like my son, Charlie, who's level three, and it's harder to, to move through those challenges. Uh, but, you know, through his own challenges, he's taught me a lot, you know, to not take things for granted. Like he can communicate uh, beyond basic needs. And that in itself is a great perspective on uh, on life. And, you know, not everyone will learn to communicate, uh, even if their life depends on it. I've had that experience with Charlie when he was in the intensive care unit, like with his vitals, you know, no doctor could figure it out and he couldn't even point to where he was hurting or if anything. Um, So yeah, embracing autism and what it's taught me. I definitely agree that there is kind of a bit of a nuance there, I think, between what we are considered kind of the higher functioning end of autism and what would be kind of considered the profound autism section. So embracing autism would probably look different for those two groups. I like your answer a lot. I think to expand upon the profound autism, I think for me personally, embracing autism in that sense would kind of be more like embracing the person. So embracing when it comes to the case of those profound cases, I think that that's more of a goal for society when it gets to that severity level to just kind of embrace them as a person. Because I've seen instances where they're kind of a pariah, you know? I like that a lot. Yeah. So is there anything else you would like to share that I may not have asked? If you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person, which is a quote from Dr. Stephen Shore, who's an autistic board member uh, of uh, Autism Speaks, by the way. Oh, really? That's where that comes from. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, that's his quote. I love that quote because, you know, like you just met me uh, kind of online. I mean, you know what I mean? But then you're going to meet another autistic person and their struggles and strengths, it's all going to be different. Then you're going to meet someone like my son, Charlie, and it's going to be different and also a lot more severe, profound. So that's uh, something I like for people to remember. And also to just don't take everything you read on social media at face value, like just do your own research, but like not just Google, like talk to, you know, facts and people, uh, you know, I like to think that autistic people should like facts, you know, that's symptoms, but I guess not so much uh, on online and on social media, but yeah, just, you know, take what you read on social media with a grain of salt. It's always good to look for a different opinion or perspective. So if you're hearing a lot from one side, 
I like to personally go out of my way to talk to people who don't validate that information because I'm curious to know, well, what's the counter argument? And that helps me make a better decision for what my beliefs will be. That's why as part of this podcast, my goal is to talk to people who might have views that are slightly different than mine or have people who have different views kind of talk to each other and just kind of like get that out there because I do think that dialogue is really important and I feel like civil discourse has kind of been a thing of the past and we need to bring it back. So that's kind of the goal here as well. (laughs) That's good. I like that. So we're about to wrap up here, but before we do, can you let me know where my listeners can find you? Do you have any social media presence? I know you have the blog. (laughs) Yeah, I do. Uh, You can find me at the Autism Cafe on uh Facebook and uh, Instagram, and uh, I'm on TikTok at uh, Eileen.Lamb. Awesome. So you guys heard that. It's at The Autism Cafe on Instagram and Facebook. And was it Eileen.Lamb at TikTok? There we go. (laughs) So you guys, if you could just give her a follow if you liked what you heard. Thanks so much, Eileen, for taking the time to join the podcast. And I hope you have a great remainder of your time. You too. Thank you for having me. Bye. This has been the audio from the Embracing Autism podcast live stream series. Please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at Autism Wish to catch these shows live. Otherwise, stick around next week for our next episode. This is Embracing Autism.